Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. good to be with you all this morning. Thank you for coming back for part two. Thank you for being gracious with me. What's the goal this morning, Frankie? Less crying. Less crying is the goal. (laughs) Uh, We're going to do our best. I promise nothing. No, no, don't confess that over me. My gosh. I'd like to begin with a story this morning. Once upon a time, there was an atheist, and this atheist went on vacation to Scotland. And one day, he gets in a boat that he rented, and he rows out into the middle of the lake. And all of a sudden, bam, his boat explodes. And he's hurled hundreds of feet into the air, and he looks down, and he sees the Loch Ness Monster coming up through the remains of his boat. And in desperation, he cries out, oh God, save me. And he freezes in midair, clouds part, God peeks through. I thought you didn't believe in me, God says. The atheist says, give me a break, God. Five minutes ago, I didn't believe in the Loch Ness Monster. (laughs) It's not the end of the story. God's like, all right, what do you want me to do about it? The atheist thinks about it, and he says, I want the Loch Ness Monster to believe in you too. God says, all right, done. Clouds go back together. Scenery starts. Atheist starts falling. Ah! The Loch Ness Monster closes his jaws extends his claws, catches the atheist in midair, deposits him in the remains of the boat, bows his head, folds his claws, and says, thank you, O Lord, for this food that you've so graciously provided to me. Our summary from last week, prayer can and does move the heart of God. And if he needs to invoke mythological creatures to get to you, he will do it. Amen. All right, if you have your Bible or a device that contains your Bible, we're going to go to the book of John. We're going to start reading in the book of John, chapter 14. We talked about a lot of things last Sunday. I want to recap just a few of them. We said that the word prayer always denotes closeness and sacrifice. Interesting. We talked about the story of George Mueller and how at the end of his life, he said it was so easy to pray and believe God for so many things. Where at the beginning of his life, he said it was so hard to pray and believe God for anything. We talked about one of the, one of the things that develops in our prayer life is this concept of confidence. Confidence is our communication and our trust, our faith, our belief, and our track record that is developed with our Heavenly Father over a period of time. As we learn to hear his voice, as we learn to pray, and as we see him answer prayer, we begin to build confidence in who he is and what he says to us and how we approach him and ask for things in our lives and in the lives of others. And then we ended with this statement, time spent in the presence of God is never time wasted. And I encourage you to make a space and a place where you can listen to and hear God speak in your life. And we talked about, for me, it's a chair. 
Well, update on the chair. Last week, my wife gave away my chair. In her defense, she's getting me a new chair, a better chair. She promises a more comfy chair. All I can think of is as the people took it away. It's going to the Hebron colony. Well, so you know, it's going to a good home. All I can think of is the first person that sits in that chair. What will happen to them? All I can think of is that story in the Old Testament where it's Elijah or Elisha, I can't remember, and he dies, and the guy, there's a guy who falls into a pit and dies, and as he's laying there dead, he touches the bones of Elijah and comes back to life. And I'm like, Lord, the first person that sits in that chair, let something happen to them, outrageous. <laughs> and they're like, what is happening? It's just the chair. I want to answer the question today. Does God still speak today? And that is a whole message. But all I'm going to say is John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep, bah, my sheep know my voice. I know them and they follow me. So you, if you identify as a sheep of Jesus today, Jesus says, my sheep know, that means they listen for, hear, and obey. They know my voice, and they do not follow the voice of a stranger. I submit to you this morning that God does still speak today through his word, through his spirit, which is what we're going to talk about, through his people, that's all of us, and through his creation. And you know I brought new, fresh Leonard Ravenhill for you this morning. Mr. Leonard says this, at the judgment seat of Christ, the most embarrassing thing the believer will face will be the smallness of his praying. Oh, it just happened. <laughs> Gotta be kidding me. I was doing so good. Ugh. All right, I'm back. For a man who kneels before God will stand before men, and a man who is intimate with God will never be intimidated by men. Ugh. We're almost through it. Just let it pass. Just let it wash over you. Just don't think about all the people watching on the live stream. Another quote from Leonard, and this is where we're going today. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of fire who delivers us from the coldness of prayer. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of life who ends our deadness in prayer. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of might who comes to our aid, so close, in our weakness as we pray. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of power who helps our infirmity in prayer. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, his work in our lives, and his connection when it comes to our prayer life. Is that okay? All right. Did you find uh, the book of John? New Testament book of John. We're going to start reading in verse, or in chapter 14, and we're going to read verses 15 through 18, and I'm going to read them in reverse. I really enjoy doing this in the Bible. Sometimes when you read the verses backwards, it imparts new, uh, new connections and new meaning. So, begin in verse 18. Verse 18, this is Jesus talking to the disciples. He says, No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Look at that word orphan. An orphan is someone who is alone, who has no parents. What is Jesus' answer to not being orphans? Verse 17. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it is not looking for him and does not recognize him. Only the sheep of Jesus can know and recognize the Holy Spirit. 
because he lives with you now. Everyone see that? He lives with you now. If you're wondering where the Holy Spirit is right now, Jesus says he, he lives in you now. And later, that means later on from when he's speaking, he will be in you. So if you are wondering if you have the Holy Spirit or where he may be, Jesus said he lives in you right now. You are not an orphan. The Holy Spirit lives in you right now. Verse 16, where did he come from? And I, that's Jesus, will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. So Jesus asked the Father, and the Father sent someone else who will never leave us. So we know he will never leave us, and he lives in us. Now, my version says he will send you another advocate. Now, depending on what version of the Bible you are reading, it may contain several words there. We're going to talk about why. Oh, where's my list? Depending on your version, it may say there, instead of advocate, it might say, it might say, it might say helper, counselor, encourager, or standby. Or if you're reading the Message Bible, it says a new friend will I send. I thought that was really funny. That word there that Jesus is using, the reason it's translated so many different ways, is the Greek word paraclete or the parakletos. And I always remember that word paraclete because it refers to the Holy Spirit. And if we know he's right there, I always think of the English word parakeet, and then I always think of a pirate. And remember how a pirate always has a bird sitting on his shoulder talking to him? Well, I always have that picture of the Holy Spirit. He is right there, and he is speaking to me. He is not a parakeet, but he is the paraclete. That was a joke. They're not going to get any better. <laughs> so the word paraclete is a compound Greek word. It comes from the word para, which means alongside or beside. The Holy Spirit is right here. Uh, we still that, use that word in English today. If you've heard of a paragraph, what is a paragraph? It is a group of sentences or words that go together. That is that word para, right there. And the second part of that word is the word kalen, just like my nephew. And it means to call. God has called the Holy Spirit alongside us as believers. Now we have the ability to call upon the Holy Spirit, and there he is right beside you. And when you get together with the Holy Spirit, you now have the ability to call on your Heavenly Father. We call this process prayer. Amen? All right. Paraclete was a legal term in the time of Jesus, which is why he used it. And it is an unusual word for him to use. It not only describes the Holy Spirit, but it defines who he is in our lives and what he does. It refers to a legal advocate, someone who speaks in a person's defense and provides legal counsel. This is from my, my study Bible here. I did not come up with this. Counselor is a popular translation of this term, but the therapeutic connotations of this word in contemporary English are misleading. The older legal meaning of a lawyer providing advice or counsel is closer to the mark. Comforter is another popular translation, but this is also misleading. The older English meaning of someone who strengthens or an encourager is more accurate to the New Testament concept of the paraclete. And that's because the Greek word for encouragement 
is um, parakalisi, and it's very similar to the word paraclete. In fact, they're only like one letter removed. And in Greek, all the family of words always have similar meanings, which tells me that one of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit is to encourage or to be an encourager, and that's why it's translated that way. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as another advocate. Jesus was the first advocate, and that God has now sent a second advocate, the Holy Spirit. Every task of the Spirit is a task that Jesus has already done in his time on the earth. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come to encourage, instruct, and strengthen his followers. In fact, the Spirit would sustain Jesus' own presence among his disciples or his sheep. And then it goes on from there. So, when Jesus went to the cross, oh, this is what I want, what I want to end with. The Holy Spirit, just like we talked about in the court of law, the Holy Spirit is here in an, an, official, official, an official capacity. When Jesus went to the cross, God was legally obligated to send someone else in an official capacity to us as believers to assist us in our lives. So the question is, when did the Holy Spirit arrive in your life? We know from John chapter 20 that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, breathed on his disciples and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Many scholars, myself included, believe that this is the moment the disciples received salvation and that it came packaged with the Holy Spirit. He was the delivery man of this new life in Christ. But then he stuck around um, free of charge. If you are here this morning and you have received the gift of salvation, you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, the Holy Spirit showed up in that moment with that salvation, and then he made his home in you. It was a package deal. We're still in uh, John chapter 14. Skip down to verse 23. Jesus says a few more things here about the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 23 says, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember this, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I'm still with you, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything. If you like writing in your Bible, I would underline that uh, word, everything. What does the Holy Spirit know? Everything. Have you ever heard that expression? Between my brother and I, I know everything. And then if someone asks you something that you don't know, you say, well, that's one my brother knows. I like to say, between me and the Holy Spirit, I know everything. And if someone asks me something that I don't know, I say, that's one the Holy Spirit knows. You should ask him. He will teach you everything. That means he knows everything. And he will remind you of everything I have told you. Look at verse 27. I am leaving you with a gift. Is Jesus still talking about the Holy Spirit here in the context of what he just says? Does Jesus call the Holy Spirit a gift? What is a gift? It is something you did not work for 
that someone paid for themselves and is now giving to you free of charge. Your only obligation is to receive it, open it, and enjoy it. That is your job, to receive the Holy Spirit and to utilize his gifts in your life. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. So what does the Holy Spirit bring every time? Peace of mind and heart from Jesus to you. If you do not have peace today, I encourage you to ask, Holy Spirit, you are the gift of God to me. You have peace for my mind and my heart. I receive it right now. Do that on your own time. Not at this moment. Some point today. We talked last week from Romans chapter 10. Does everyone remember that? About how when you prayed a prayer to receive salvation, you opened the door to the kingdom of heaven uh, when you received Jesus as your Savior and Lord. The connection that you open to the realm where God lives, what we call the spirit realm, some people call the supernatural, uh, has, that connection has never been severed or turned off. As soon as you made that connection once, it is always open and available to you. And the Spirit of God, or the Holy Spirit, or if you grew up in the 80s like I did, the Holy Ghost, he is the facilitator or the gatekeeper of that connection between you and your Heavenly Father. And he is constantly facilitating that connection. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, and whether you ever act on it or not, you are always connected to the kingdom of God. And you always have direct access to your heavenly father. And the facilitator of that connection is the Holy Spirit. Amen? Here, Jesus calls him the promise of the father and the gift of God. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul calls him the mark, the seal, the deposit, and the guarantee of this new life as God's chosen people. Oh, I'm going to skip ahead. While I'm skipping ahead, go to the book of Romans. This is Matt Roten's fault. Romans chapter 8. But since he's here, and since he has a coffee cup that says, ask me about Romans chapter 8, I'm just going to go ahead and read from Romans chapter 8. And then later, I'll ask him if I did a good job. And he will let me know. <laughs> Romans chapter 8. While we are defining the Holy Spirit, what do, what do we call him? We called him a few things. The helper, the advocate, the counselor, the encourager, the standby, and a friend. When you look at all those definitions and you look at the Greek, I don't think, that, that's all pretty good. My favorite definition is a coach. I think that's more a modern interpretation of all the roles that he plays in our life. In fact, I like to call him the best life coach you will ever have. The other great word there that could be used is a partner. A life coach, but a partner. And I'm going to tell you a story, and I believe I have some pictures. Will someone put up picture number one? Maybe. There it is. I want to talk to you about rock climbing. That is me. In the picture, I am in Kentucky, just outside of Lexington. It's one of my favorite places in the world to climb. But, you'll, but if you look closely, even though it just looks like I'm just climbing up this rock in the middle of trees, you can actually, if you look hard, you can see a rope attached to me in that photo. Next picture, please. Not, not this scripture. There you go. 
Here's another picture of me climbing. This is why I love Kentucky, because they have all these holes that look like honeycomb. It's wild. So if you'll notice, you can see the rope better in this picture. I'm not just up there by myself, casually walking through life with no attachments to anything. Nope, I'm attached to a rope. It's green and blue in that, in that photo. And that rope is attached to my partner who is on the ground. And my partner literally has my life in his hands. I am connected to me, and he is connected to I, and we are in this thing together. Now, on the one hand, I'm moving up this rock, and I have the right gear and knowledge and know-how how to climb this rock. But on the other hand, if something bad were to happen, like I was to fall off or the rock was to break or many number of things, and now it is up to my partner, who I am connected to, to catch me. And now what's interesting about this partner is it's someone I trust and I have belief in, hopefully. And also he has the equipment to keep me safe when I fall. And good rock climbing partners are hard to find. It takes time. <laughs> it's true. I have rock climbed with many, many people. There are only a few people that I trust implicitly with my life. And here's the really interesting part. I climb at my very best when I am with those people that I implicitly trust with my life. I am not worried about them. I am connected to them, but I know they have the equipment, the knowledge, the know-how, and we've spent enough time together and talked enough over time that I know what to say and he knows what to do, and we have a shorthand to communicate. I say, hey, man, watch me here. Take the rope here do this, do that, and he does it, and I don't even think about it. I am just focused on what I am doing. But those relationships do not develop overnight. I do not go to the local climbing gym. I say, hey, you look pretty cool. Let's go climbing together, and now I'm going to trust you with my life when I connect to you with this rope while I'm hundreds of feet in the air. It is the same with our relationship with the Holy Spirit. It is going to take you time to get to know him and trust him as your partner, as your life coach. But just like in these pictures, you are connected to him and you can do incredible things with him. And as you learn to trust him and develop that communication between you, he will take you places you cannot imagine. Amen? Good partners are hard Defined. Why? Because it takes time to build trust. It takes time to learn how to pray and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. It takes time to learn how to communicate with Him. All right, did you find Romans chapter 8? We'll say more about that in a minute. Let's go back over here. Am I there? Yes, I am. We're going to start reading in verse 26. I could read the whole chapter to you, but that would take a while. We're just going to skip to the good part. I'm just kidding. Uh, verse 26. And it says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Remember, he's the helper. So what is his job? To help us. If you were raised with the King James like I was, you'll know that it says the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. I don't use the word helpeth much anymore, but he helps us in our infirmities or our weaknesses, which is actually a good translation. I want to talk to you about that word help. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses or our infirmities. That Greek word helps, this is a big one, whew, is the Greek word sunanti lambanomai. 
Soon Auntie Lanbanomai. I admit when I pulled up my app and I clicked the little button where the guy tells me how to pronounce Greek words, I swear to you he said Tsunami Lamborghini. And I was like, I don't think that's it. Let me listen to it again. And it's Soon Auntie Lanbanomai. It is a triple Greek compound word. And the Greek geek in me gets really excited when I encounter a triple compound word because it doesn't happen very often. And I'm like, oh my word. And all I can think of is those poor translators, Bob, Joe, and I can see them sitting around saying, we have to come up with one English word that fully encapsulate the meaning of this triple compound Greek word. What do you got? And Bob says, how about helpeth? I don't know about those guys sometimes. May I define to you what this word means? All right, here we go. Soon, the Greek word soon means to do something with someone else, and it always speaks of connection. The second word, anti, the same word we use in English today, and it means against something. And finally, the Greek word lambano means to take or receive. So when you put those words together, I wrote it down here somewhere. Oh, here it is. It means to take hold of something with someone else. It always denotes cooperation, and this Greek word is a verb, which means it's always an action, and it's only used two times in the New Testament, here in Romans 8, and a bonus place we may mention later. I don't know. You'll just have to stick around. So the Holy Spirit helpeth, or soon anti-lambanomai, us in our weaknesses. Oh, where we are. Okay, so it speaks of connection, it speaks of help. And the picture in the Greek that I get is almost like a tug of war. Have you ever seen a tug of war? You've got people on this side, and you've got people on this side, and there's a rope connecting in the middle, and they're pulling this way, and the other team's pulling this way, and hopefully if someone pulls hard enough, the other people end up in the mud, right? That is kind of what it's like to be connected to the Holy Spirit. He is always going to be pulling you in a direction, And you have to decide whether you're going to allow him to pull you in that direction or you can pull against him and you may end up in the mud. You have a choice. When he he will take hold together with you, that's what this word says. And you can pull on opposite ends of the rope. And you have a choice that you can either cooperate with the direction he is pulling you and you can move with him or not. Remember what we said earlier, another great word for the Holy Spirit is the word partner. The Spirit of God will partner with us if we cooperate with him. Part of his job, according to this word, is he will take hold together with us. Why does he do this? Keep reading in verse 26. Because we don't know how God wants us to pray. We don't always know how to pray or what to pray or the exact words to use or the scriptures to stand on, but he does. And he is right there connected to you, just like in those rock climbing photos. He is your partner. He is your helper. And it's part of his job to help you, to take hold together with you, if you will let him, and take you in the direction he wants you to go and the direction he wants you to pray. Keep reading, verse 26. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows 
All hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So how will he lead you in prayer? In God's own will, in perfect harmony. Verse 28, and we know that God causes all things or everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. How many have ever heard that scripture before? How many have that embroidered on your wall or on your refrigerator or in your bathroom? I don't know, wherever you keep scripture. How many have ever read it in this context? I want to submit to you that this verse comes after your agreeing with and being connected to and him leading you the Holy Spirit, and then he says, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to those purpose. Notice that verse comes after you have learned you're connected to the Spirit of God, and he has a direction that he wants to lead you. Then that verse applies. It does not stand on its own. I'm just going to leave that there. You can work that out between you and the Lord later. So the Holy Spirit is our partner, and it behooves us to cooperate with our partner. And that is a connection that will never be severed. Because remember, where, where does he live? He lives in us. He's always there. He's monitoring that connection between you and the heaven and Father God. He is right there with us. And we said earlier, one of his jobs is to be our encourager, I love it when I have a great rock climbing partner who, who encourages me. I climb my very best when someone is on the ground who already has been on this route, who already knows what I'm going through and can tell me, move your foot here, move your hand here, use this piece of good uh, gear here. You're doing a great job. You're not getting tired. You're remembering to breathe. <laughs> All right. You're using your hands. You're using your feet. You're strong. You can make it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can make it. That is exactly what the Holy Spirit will do and is saying to you if you will listen to him and cooperate with his voice. He was encouraging you, keep going, do this, move this over here, pray for this person, call this person, talk to your boss about this, apologize to your spouse, bring her flowers. These are the kind of conversations I have with the Holy Spirit. He is our encourager. A good partner will always address your weaknesses, or the Bible says infirmities. The Holy Spirit has been called to help us in our weakness and inferred infirmities. He's there to give you instruction. He's there to give you encouragement. And when you are tempted to give up, he is right there saying, keep going. All right, do you want the bonus? You want to you hear about the other time in the New Testament that sunante lambanomai is used? All right, just for you guys. It happens, you don't have to turn there, it happens in uh, Luke chapter 10 when Jesus is uh, sitting with Mary and Martha. And remember, Martha's all mad because Mary won't come and help her in the kitchen. And do you remember what she says to Jesus? She says, Master, tell my sister to come help me soon ante lambanomai. Tell her to sever the connection between you and her and have her connect to me and partner with me and cooperate with me in the things that I'm doing. And Jesus says, no, she is connected to me. She is fellowshipping with me. You can decide now if you're going to stay in the kitchen or come out to where I am and partner and cooperate with me. Same word. Martha wanted to pull her this way, and Jesus was pulling her this way. Cooperate with me, partner 
with what I'm doing. Jesus always has a direction that he wants you to go, and the Holy Spirit is there, tug, tug, tugging on that rope that you're connected to. It behooves us to follow him. All right, we talked about the Holy Spirit. I'm just gonna go over a few more points from Romans chapter eight. There's several more things I could get into. It says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, or the King James says infirmity. Uh, We talked about that. For example, it says we don't know what we ought to pray about. That word what in the Greek is the Greek word T, and it always means small things or details, which tells me God cares about the small things in your life, and he is interested in the details of your life. And that Holy Spirit, part of his job is to know those details and the small things and pull you so that when you pray, you can even pray about the details of any situation, circumstance, or prayer. He is involved intimately with all of that. Final point here, Romans eight twenty six. It says the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. If you were raised with the King James like I was, your version will say he makes intercession for us. And that's actually a pretty good definition because it's a unique word he uses there for pray. The normal word for pray in the New Testament is not the word he uses here. This word is the Greek word hupertogchano. And the Greek word hupertogchano, it means to fall into up something with someone else. It is the picture of someone who has fallen into a ditch or a pit or a hole, something they cannot get out of by themselves. And this word also means a meeting or a rescue operation. One commentator I read said it this way, the spirit himself falls into our situation with us and rescues us from our weakness and then gives us the details about how to get ourselves out. Which leads me to this point. You are not responsible for your prayer life alone. It is not up to you to move the hand and the heart of God. He has given you a helper. And it is your job together to move the hand or the heart of God. And guess who does the heavy lifting in that scenario? You or the Holy Spirit? And I want you to get this phrase in your heart. This is something I pray every day. It's on my computer. It's written at work. It's in my car. It's everywhere. Four words. Write them down. Put them in your phone. Make them your screensaver. When you don't know what to do, instead of saying, I don't know what to do, remember, you have a a friend who knows everything. Instead, I want you to utter these immortal words. Help me, Holy Spirit. I cannot tell you how many times a day I say that. I'm like, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do in this situation. Help me, Holy Spirit. He knows everything. It's his job to help, encourage, stand in the gap for us. It's his job to get in the pit and the ditch and help us get out of it. He, he, has every, he has all the details. He knows exactly what to do. And where does he live? He lives in you. Very good. Y'all are doing fantastic this morning. All right, how long have I gone here? I'm almost out of notes. And I've got several more things I could say. So where do you want to go, Lord? Let's go to Philippians. For those of you watching online, I'm now being heckled by the front row. Well, you're there in Romans. You might as well go over to Philippians because it's just a a few books over or a few clicks over. 
Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. You may be saying to yourself, Sean, how do I start on this journey of cooperating with the Holy Spirit, of learning to listen for his voice? You've established that God is speaking. You've established that God wants to speak to me. You've established he wants to speak uh, to me through his word, through his spirit. Um, What else did I say? Through his people and through his creation. Ooh, before you get to Philippians chapter 2, can we just say one more thing? I touched on this last week, and I felt like there were questions. I want to talk to you just for a minute. This is a total side journey about spirit, soul, and body. Because I keep saying God is a spirit, and he will speak to you in your spirit. So let's make this very clear. You are a spirit. Your spirit was hand-formed by the hands of God. When you die, your body will turn back into dust, but your spirit will go to heaven and live forever with him. Amen? So you are a spirit, but you have a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And you live in this tent of flesh that we call a body. All three parts of you have a voice. If you don't believe me, don't eat lunch this afternoon. And then tell me your body doesn't have a voice. It does. And if you don't think your soul has a voice, your mind, your will, and your emotions, turn off your phone for 24 hours and then let me know how you feel. Because I guarantee you, your mind wants to pick up your phone and check whatever it is you check on your phone, and it wants to do it all the time. And the reason for that is all three parts of you have a voice and all three parts of you want to be fed. The way your body eats is natural food that hopefully you're eating three times a day with lots of kale and vegetables and fiber, not a lot of fat and cholesterol. That's another message. Your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions also has a voice and also wants to feed. And its primary thing that it wants to eat is entertainment. It wants a constant supply of entertainment. And when you don't supply it, It has a voice, and it will tell you, you are crazy. Why are you not feeding me constant flow of entertainment? Well, your spirit also has a voice, and your spirit also wants to be fed. And I have a rule. This is just me personally. My body does not get to eat until my spirit is fed. Because when you start placing priority on your spirit and feeding your spirit, you will more clearly hear the voice of God because he speaks to your spirit. He does not speak to your head. He does not speak to your mind. He does not speak to your emotions. And he does not speak to your physical body. He is a spirit and he speaks to you spirit to spirit via that connection we talked about earlier. The more you give priority to your spirit, the more clearly you will hear the voice of God. The majority of people that I meet, their body is in control of them and then is at number one. Their soul is in second position and they do whatever it says and their spirit is down here and maybe, maybe they'll feel a nudging or they might hear something and they'll start going in that direction. As Christians, your spirit needs to be your priority and on top. Then your soul under that And finally, your body on the bottom. And how do you get there? Well, that's prayer and fasting, and that's a whole other teaching. All I want you to know today, there are three parts of you. All three parts of you have a voice, and all three parts of you want to be fed. 
and you are feeding all three parts of you all the time. The question is, what food are you feeding them and what voices are you hearing as a result? So just marinate on that. But I felt last week like I should mention that. I've mentioned it. Can we now move on? Yes, we can. Okay, great. <laughs> Pastor's wife said move on. We're moving on. Where, where did I tell you to go? Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. So the Holy Spirit will work and communicate with your spirit. And he's constantly pulling you in that direction for spirit food. But the good news is you don't have to do this alone because of Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to start reading in verse uh, 13 and 14. This is hot off the press. I just read this last night. So this is fresh manna, fresh revelation for today. Uh, Verse 13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Good news. You don't have to do all this yourself. This verse says, God is currently working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That word working is the Greek word energeo, where we get our word energy from. And he's not referring to natural energy, and he's not referring to the energy of the universe. It is a supply of supernatural, constantly flowing, will never run out, God-given power and ability and desire for anyone who desires to change anything about their lives. All we have to do is take the first step and reach out to God. God will always respond to us, but he does not initiate the process. When you got saved, you had to reach out to God via a prayer, and he showed up just like that. When you reach out to him for anything, he is there just like that. But the scripture says, we have to draw near to God, and then he will draw near to us. It does not say God will draw near to us, and then we will draw near to him. He's, I mean, technically, he's always right there, but he's always waiting for us to make the first move. That is called faith, by the way. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. But as soon as we take that step of faith and say, God, I want more of you, he's right there. God, I want to hear your spirit more clearly, he's right there. God, you've given to me this helper. I want to start to feel that tug in my heart in a bigger way. And I want to start to move in that direction. When you say things like, God, I want more of you, this scripture, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to back up that desire to do what pleases him. It is always right there and it is always available to you. You just have to ask. So last week we talked about Romans 10. We had the, we have to start the conversation in prayer. God is right there. The effects, think about this, the effects of that initial prayer to come to Christ is still in manifestation today. And the reverberations of that prayer will carry you throughout your life and into eternity. Such is the power of prayer in your life. And the Holy Spirit is right there overseeing, ensuring that connection is stable, and shepherding that process for your prayers to come to pass. Amen? And I think that's about all I have today. I could get into a lot of other things. We could talk about prayer is always coupled or should be coupled with thanksgiving. 
because Thanksgiving helps stir up and activate our faith, but that's another message. Uh, We could talk about how the Holy Spirit will never leave us or forsake us. He's always right there. We could talk about the scripture that says these tents, our flesh may be getting more corrupt every day, but our spirit is becoming more alive and stronger every day. As we go through this life, our connection with God only becomes stronger, greater, and more powerful. We should expect to hear God's voice more clearly in our lives every day. And if you remember nothing else this morning, Frankie, remember this, help me, Holy Spirit. I encourage you to make that part of your life. Well, I'm going to get a new chair, and I'm going to start meeting, meeting again with God soon. We're just on a break right now. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm sitting in a different chair right now. So I would just encourage you, like I said last Sunday, to create a space and a place for you to hear the voice of God. Anything that's really important to me, I somehow magically find time to do it in my life. No matter the cost, no matter the financial cost, no matter the time cost, I figure out a way to do it. When the, when the, when the Lord and his kingdom mean enough to you, you will find a way to spend time with him. And I encourage you to find a place And I encourage you to take time. And remember we said last year, don't have this huge audacious goal. Lord, I'm going to fast and pray for the next three days. And I'm not going to do anything else. Let's start, let's bring it down here. Why why don't we start with like five minutes of you reading the Bible and saying, help me, Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to hear your voice. Do you remember Samuel in the Old Testament? The prophet Samuel, he was a boy and the Lord starts speaking to him. And he's like, I don't even know what that is. And he goes to uh, Eli, the high priest, and he says, someone is speaking to me. And Eli says, it's the Lord. When you go back, oh, God, I made it all the way here. <laughs> Gotta be kidding me. You better play something, Frankie, okay. <laughs> Eli says to him, the next time the voice speaks, uh, say, here I am, Lord. Your servant listens. Is that what he says? That's a great place to start. Five minutes in the word, Lord, speak to my heart. Then you can go to something else. And then you will start to feel that tug of the Holy Spirit pulling you in a direction. All you have to do is obey. And the whole time we're going through this process, remember uh, the scripture said, the Lord will give you the desire and the power to fulfill that desire to move through his kingdom. Amen? All right, we've done it. Anything else we should do? Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.